Kia ora, and welcome to what I call Ride Your Stigma. Listen, learn, ask hard questions, share your stories, and choose to grow. Because at the end of the day, my friend, we are our own creators. <laughs> Kia ora, beautiful. Can you hear me? Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Celebration time. Like three little dots at the top that I could click on that. And it goes open in the app. And I'm like, okay, try that. And then I'm like, oh, I'm in. Now you're not in. <laughs> Heck we yeah, we made it. We made it. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome, everyone, back to Ride Your Stigmas podcast. We are episode. 14 today um we have just had some techie difficulties second session <laughs> booked with the beautiful star to um share her journey but it's been a few techie issues along the way <laughs> um so thank you for persisting and being patient star and coming to join us um everyone that's listening um i have a beautiful friend of mine that i've connected with through social media um the fabulous social media um her name is star and i'm going to attempt to pronounce where she lives fluria peninsula in south australia um she is a fabulous transcendence coach um and I've been following you, how long, Star? I don't know, maybe maybe six months? I'm guessing. It's hard to, um, I suppose, pinpoint when I first discovered you, but just love how you show up and your connection. Um, it lights something in me. So thank you for joining us today, beautiful. Um, and do you want to just start off sharing a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit about your journey who you are, where you've been, what kind of brought you to this journey that you're on at the moment. Sure. Thank you for having me in tech difficulties and all. I believe what a saga that was to try and get on. But here we are. And a little bit about me. So grew up in the countryside of South Australia. Um Moved to to Adelaide back and forth. Um, experienced uh, sexual assault when I was thirteen, um, which led into uh, quite a few relationships around domestic violence, um, and that brought me into like taking my own pain to passion, um, going into coaching field and um, unpacking all of the conditioning and all of the emotional. Uh, stuff to release that to to where I am now so that I can support other people into emotional freedom um, and true transcendence of pain into personal power. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much it. And a quick summary. Yeah. Um, awesome. Honestly, girl, um, the way you show up and your vulnerability and your, your, just your true authentic self, it just inspires the shit out of me. So, Good on you for getting to this part in your journey. Um, so do you, Thank you have a bit, yeah, no problem. It's It comes from heart and, and you have already taught me so much just through your sharing and your your coaching, your content through um, our, our social media world. Like I, you've made me ball into tears some days, beautiful, with your your powerful stuff. So <laughs> keep doing it. Um, Perfect. <laughs> if you um, could just describe to everyone, Star, like um, if your business name, um, what kind of, 
I suppose, what kind of maybe avatars you work with, what kind of people like you niche down into um, that you really connect with um, out in the world? Um, so my business name is Starsansky Banala Mind, Body and Soul. Um, <laughs> what's a niche niche area? So the people that I work with predominantly are female, um, though I will take on men as well if um, they're really connecting in and it's something that I can assist them them with. Um, uh, what would be the yeah? So predominantly females and really a lot of trauma um, that are holding a lot of emotions that um have disassociation towards their um their sensual or sexual selves and you know struggling within relationships struggling to have trust um within self uh body dysmorphia and yeah um going into like different kinds of identities like that they might feel um that they're bisexual or not or um they don't really know specifics of who they are, but they, they know that there's something um, and that there's a lot of conditioning around who they, that how they show up in the world now versus who they are on the inside and they're wanting to step more into that, more into their authenticity, more into um, their personal power and reclaiming those aspects. I work with a lot of people that um, have felt powerless in their life and that's something I can absolutely relate to within my journey, um, and then overcoming that. So assisting people to take back and reclaim that personal power and where they can bring that back into into their life now. It's absolutely transcending work. It's transformational work. It's um, It brings me to tears quite a lot, yeah. <laughs> um, seeing the gifts in people and just knowing from my own journey where it touches somewhere inside of me where I've overcome that and then to see people that I'm working with overcome something, it I'm going to do it again, I'm going to cry. It's just beautiful. It absolutely um, ignites me. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds like you are, you are in your life purpose, my girl, like really, really found the place that you're meant to be to heal yourself and support others. Um so it's incredible because it can take us a long time and a lot of bumps along the road to be able to discover that in us. Hey, um, Star, would you like to share with us, please, I suppose, some of your your hardest parts of your journey? You know, you, you're, you've talked a bit to me in the past about um, domestic violence, um, sexual assault and things like that. So did you want to yeah. just talk into that a little bit more and maybe share share some of your wisdom, some of your experiences and your learnings um, and your growth and yourself so that we can... I suppose, for one, so that people can relate their own experiences to it, um, get a taste of your journey and in your healing. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, so, well, there was some, um, the molestation stuff started when I was around 10, um, but that wasn't too too, <laughs> too severe. Um, what really set me onto a different path was, when I was sexually assaulted, when I was raped, when I was 13 and I went to a friend's 18th birthday party and um, 
yeah, I didn't have my innocence by morning on that. Um, and that was quite a very confronting um, experience. That was my first time that was like I'd never even kissed a boy before that um, or really like held hands or anything. I'd only had fake boyfriends before that, people that had asked me out and like they were joking. It wasn't even like real. They were just seeing if I would say yes. And if I said yes, then they would um, like just mock me room and stuff, um, like make fun of it, going like, you're ugly, I wouldn't date you anyway. It was just a joke. I can't believe you said yes. Um, so when I was 13, I was doing Army Cadets and I met I made friends through that. Um, and then at that birthday party was one of the cadets, it was their 18th, so I really wanted to go. And, yeah, ended up getting raped at that birthday party and my friend was actually asleep on the ground <laughs> in front of me when that happened but um, passed out from drinking and my sister was even in the corner, like she was there as well and she was passed out in the corner. So it was in the room with two people that I loved and that was that was big too because I kept it a, a secret because um, I was told if I, if I told anyone that he would find me and, you know, end me. So amongst other things, um, oh, well, I lost my train of thought there. Okay. Um, Just taking it all in and it's, um, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. And you tell, even that little bit of a share right now, you know, you tell it with such, um, like I can't hear the anger and the hurt and the frustration in you, which obviously it could still come up, but it sounds like you've really started to shift all of that into yeah. a new space. Hey, um, definitely. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't bring pain or um, disgust and shame. Like it was so much anger and so much shame and so much. Um, yeah, very much. That's. I had a little bit of body dysmorphia, but really, I wasn't very aware of my body before that event. Yeah, that, that became very hyper vigilant. Um, I developed PTSD. Um, there was depression, um, anxiety, and obviously the body dysmorphia, but they were later diagnosed in my early 20s. Um, but they definitely started after that event as I started to take notice of my body. Um, I wasn't wearing anything like too crazy um, for that party. I think I was wearing jeans and like a tank top. It wasn't anything like <laughs> out there, no like skimpy clothes or anything. Um but I just remember feeling such disgust and it was such a topic that, you know, your first time supposed to be something special. Um, that's what I'd heard, that it's, it's supposed to be like that's romanticising about it. Mm. Um, I didn't even really know, like, to, to explain my innocence. I think it was uh, when I got to the party that 50 Cent Candy Shop was playing. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I remember thinking in my head, what does this song even mean? Like I, there was part of me that kind of knew that there was some innuendo there, but I didn't understand what it meant. Um, I thought he just really liked candy shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, isn't it now, I do remember that song did, did And I think about it as an adult now going, oh, my goodness, that's so innocent of not knowing and being aware of that stuff. <clears throat> but, yeah. yeah. That took place, that kind of shaped things. Um, 
within myself made me very hypervigilant and um, I went through a phase of not giving a fuck then, like just not caring um, about my body and everything. I was holding this secret um, inside of me that I didn't feel like I could tell anyone about because I caused quite the kerfuffle with my mum and stuff to go to this party. Like I threatened to throw myself out of a vehicle because I really wanted to go. So the last thing I wanted to do was give her the satisfaction to know that I was raped at that party. It was like almost like I felt like I had karma, like I deserved it. Um, so going through and having that, like I, ha- I kept it to myself for like two years um, before uh, something happened to somebody. And it was kind of like the first opportunity to be like me too. And it was the first time that I spoke about it. And yeah, I just remember that going, wow, I've never actually told anyone before, but I'd started to own it then. Um, and I was what, 15 then, but definitely sexually active by that point. Um, I was in a relationship where I got pregnant. Um, and I had my daughter at and then her dad, uh, who I was pregnant to, um, that's where the DV started. And he started getting into drugs and alcohol and all of his friends were, you know, he was 17, so all of his friends were starting to turn 18. He was a couple months off of being 18 himself um, and I was 16. So, yeah, he went right down that rabbit hole of uh, projection and all of his childhood trauma come up and um, obviously with a newborn or a little baby and like a missus at home, like he wasn't at school anymore. He was uh, working full time and, yeah, all of his friends were getting into that party scene, having a great time in his eyes where he had to come home and be responsible and look after a family. Mm. And, yeah, he was spiralled and went down into very much into the drug scene and started taking it. Um, I almost died at his hands uh, five times that I can distinctly remember. Um, there was there was many, 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 many sexual assaults that relationship as well. Um, to the point where he had convinced me to, uh, not convinced me, but told me that he was in love with my best friend and that um, he was only settling for me because uh, she would never date him. But if she was to date him and he wouldn't do these things to me. So I begged her, like I literally begged her to take him off my hands just for a moment so that I could breathe, so that I could feel a little bit my shit together. Um, and she, she's like, I, I do not want to do that. But she did because she loved, she wanted to protect me. So she's like, okay, I will do this for you so that you can, you know, get on your feet and get out of there. And so he stops hurting you. I'm like, okay. But then he, he developed two personas then. One where he was um, like this charismatic, uh, gentle, kind um, man where he would spoil her and like treat her like a queen. And in the background, he was raping me. He was beating me. He was hurting me anyway. Yeah. Um, I had a little one as well, so it's not like I could uh, get away so easy. And I was only like, 
uh, I was would have been closer to 17 by that point. Um, that went down, I'm pretty sure I was 17. But she would always check in. She's like, are you doing okay? And I'd have to lie to her and say that I was doing fine, totally fine. Um, and uh, he used to hurt me in places that she couldn't see because of clothing. So, yeah. and he'd use that as mail for me to um, keep doing it and keep the silence because he'd say, oh, if you, if you tell her, you will lose her. She won't be your friend anymore. So there was a lot of emotional and psychological abuse that was taking place apart from like the sexual abuse and the violence. Um, there was just, definitely one incident where yeah. he, um, yeah, in front of his family, like I would have been absolutely ended in that situation um, had it not been for his sister walking in. But his mum was sitting in the room, sitting there reading a book, very muscular um, stepdad was sitting in the room just kind of looking to the side, like ignoring what was happening. Um, his 11-year-old sister and 13-year-old sister were in the room. They didn't know what to do. They were like rabbits in the spotlight. Um, had me pinned up against the wall by my throat, off the, like feet off the ground and I was turning blue. And then his sister, who was my best friend, one of my best friends, um, not the one I was mentioning before, Mm-hmm. And he walked in with her her partner, who was a little bit older than what mine was, or my ex. Um, and like they walked in, like, what the absolute fuck is going on here? And like, she went off at her like parents, going, "What are you doing, allowing this? Like, it's happening in so like in front of you." Mm-hmm. And her straight away went up there like ripped him off of me took him outside and flogged him (laughs) and you know there's that was just one of the events where it's so common I didn't realize how common it was for people to just bypass that information and just ignore it when it's happening right in front of them but instead of doing something about it they would just allow it Mm -hmm. it wasn't the instance where like I was like made a spectacle of in front of people so, yeah, yeah then that led, I finally got out of that to, um, I was seeing a, what was she, youth worker counsellor. Mm-hmm. She was through United Care Wesley. I think they're called something else now. I think they're United Country SA now. Um, but I was seeing her and I think it was for unrelated stuff. I think it was to do with um, well-being of like my daughter because I was young. I think it was extra support around those things. Um and I was there for an appointment with her one day and looked at from her because he told me that if I told her what he was doing, that I would lose my daughter, that everything would be um, my fault, but I would lose my kid and it would all be all my fault if I did mm-hmm. that, if I told her it would absolutely um, take my daughter away and I would be in a lot of trouble. And I believed that too. I absolutely at that point believed that. So I didn't say anything. I was so scared to say anything to anyone about what he was actually doing um, and what kind of person he was. And yeah, so then there was an appointment that I was sitting there with her and I kept favoring one of my, uh, my left side over my right side and I couldn't control the grimacing on my face. 
and she obviously was trained in sensor acuity and she's just like, what's going on? Show me, show me your stomach. So I had to lift my top and show her and I had scars the right side of my body from carpet burn. Mm. So she's like, okay, tell me what's happening. So that was the first time I'd uh, spoken about the domestic violence and actually like I was terrified that she was going to do something and I told her all of that. No, I'm interested in looking after you and your daughter and this isn't a safe environment and I want to help you. Um, can we get out of there? Like, can you pack a bag and go? And I said, just give me a few days to clear everything up and I will do that. And she said, um, she's like, okay, I'll give you a couple of days. In those couple of days, he almost killed me again. But under divine protection, just a random friend of his rocked up on my doorstep, just randomly, right when it was about to end for me again, um, where I was pushed over the back of a seat with, you know, my throat, I could lift. And there was a knock, knock, knock at my door. And it was his friend, Zach. And he just wanted to, to drink with him. And next thing he clicked out of his, um, his mood and he was, he was in friend mode. So he was back to being a kind person. Um, and then the last thing that he said to me was uh, when his friend went into the lounge room at my house because he'd barged and was, I'm not done with you yet. The second he leaves, that's it. And I was like, he's like, I'll, I'll come back and finish what I started. And I was like, okay. So I spent all night not sleeping. Um, but they ended up passing out with the alcohol in the lounge room. And then in the morning, his friend talked him into going for a walk and stuff like that. And I said, well, when you finish your walk, go to your mum's house. Like, don't come back here. I think it's, you know, you need to go cool down and stay away. And while he was gone, he'd smashed my phone. So I had to find a way. I think I emailed on my the the worker Caroline I think her name was and she she was there within 20 minutes I had to pack a backpack um with all my documents my daughter's documents some clothes not very many we basically had to fit everything into one backpack she put me into a hotel for the night and and then the next morning we had to catch the bus to Adelaide and then from Adelaide we'll picked up from other workers and taken to uh, like a, a woman's shelter that I could only be there for three weeks. And then I was lucky on the last day, like the very last day of those three weeks, I got a place to live. <laughs> like literally the last day, I think there was a couple hours to go and I was successful to, to get a house. So I just got my bag and left. Um, and so there's been like many other things along the line as well. Um, but they're true quite big events there's so many others like as I said to you the other day in in up until this point up until the last two years or so when everything started to really like shift well I started to shift in 2015 when I did a woman's empowerment course um mm-hmm. I learned what my values were and up until that point I didn't know what a value was I didn't know mm-hmm. that I could have them just your life and I Definitely just, didn't just feel like I did. Pardon? Sorry. Did you just talking about well. life? You say beautiful, just in general, like what your values are 
most prioritized in your life, yeah? Well, just in general, I didn't know who I was, like, period. I'd been told who I was and what I was and wasn't allowed to do through the DV. Um, anytime that I spoke to myself, like, spoke up for myself, it'd be met with violence and, like, near death. Um, the more I fought and the more I would um, use my voice, the more it would end in a lot of pain and a lot of punishment and a lot of um, suffering in, in my experience. <laughs> and, yeah, so that was, you know, from the training that I've done now, that's absolutely um, part of the process of looking for things that validate that you're either a bad person fundamentally something that I believed since I was four that I was a bad person mm. and I made that choice when my parents separated I thought I made that conclude that there was something wrong with me that it was my fault somehow you know juvenile mind um it made sense and then I was looking for evidence throughout my whole life to validate that I was a bad person um I wasn't like I'd have to earn it to be happy. Like I couldn't just be happy. I had to earn it um, that if I was to just be happy that there would be retribution. That's something that I learned recently that it went as deep as that as I thought if I was just happy, yeah, absolutely have retribution. Like there would be some kind of suffering and pain that would come through. So, yeah, in 2015 I did that empowerment course and I learned like pretty much unpacked a little bit about who I was in that mm -hmm. moment and that, you know, um, I was living a life that wasn't me. I'd had uh, a few DV relationships, very toxic relationships in there. Um, I'd moved around so much. I was like, I think it was 27. I had to do one of those census things. I don't know if you have that over there, but we do in Australia. We've got to do the census every five years or so. And I remember sitting there going, oh, gosh, where the fuck was I in this? Like then in one year, like I'd moved so many times. It was ridiculous. And um, over my life I realised I'd moved like 30 times. I'd moved like 30 times and that's way more than people move in general, even if they're in like the armed forces or something like that and it's like, you know, conditions to move all the time. I'd moved mm -hmm. more than that, <laughs> um, which shows how uh, unstable um, I was within myself every single time I'd get, I'd be somewhere and be a little bit too, like I'd be comfortable and things would be going good. I and shake up my world by moving, by bringing functions so that I could give me an excuse to run away and move and, um, start again and start again and start again. But obviously that I learned was me. <laughs> um, yeah. So I couldn't really outrun my problems and all of these events that kept happening, different faces, but same situations. Um, and I learned that through my NLP training. It's like, well, you're the one common denominator in all of the events in your life. So, you know, it's basically how can you show up for yourself? How can you be at cause? How can you um, see these events as for you in a way that they've helped shape you and maybe there was something in there that other people, like the the experience that comes from learning it the hard way, <laughs> um, you know, that you don't get that from a textbook. <laughs> you don't get that from 
um, you know, even just being, if you've been through it, you get it. It's, it's like this depth of knowing. It doesn't have to be exactly the same for you to go, yeah, like I feel that in my soul. Like I've been that. I am you. You are me. I totally feel that. So, yeah, that that woman's empowerment thing kind of trajectory of where my life was going. Um, I was married at the time um, to somebody that I didn't love. I married him to protect my daughter from her dad um, and because my mum had passed away. So I – and that was the first person close to me that had ever passed away. So – I had a bit of a morality hit in the face after all of my near-death experiences. Um, I actually realised in that moment that I could actually die (laughs) and I didn't realise that up until that point, um, how I really could have. And I remember having that discussion with him and he was my boyfriend on the night of like her funeral and he's like, I'd never would let that happen. And I said, you're just my boyfriend. You've got no real say. So what if we were married? And I said, neither of us want to do that. Well, within a month afterwards, he like thought about it. He proposed and then we were dating for like a year and a day or something like that. And we got married. Um, but there wasn't like love there. If I knew myself like I knew myself now, and I've spoken to him about this as we've got a son together. I said, I never, we never would have got married. <laughs> I would have known myself a lot better to know that that was not the right relationship for me. Um, and that you don't marry out of fear. Like, <laughs> so I didn't know that. I didn't really understand the mechanisms of all of that stuff. I was just, I was literally in a state of uh, PTSD of trigger, like, I was in a state of panic all the time, hypervigilant all the time. Um, Every time I'd stop, I'd be panicky and I'd look over my shoulder and even though the evidence had backed up that my ex didn't give a fuck and he had moved on and he's got like six kids now in total for all different women and he's done some other horrible things to people, but he's like, I'm not in his reach anymore. So he's, he's never going to come near me again. Um, I was only controllable when I was in that environment. As soon as I left that environment, he just uh, put his attention elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so that empowerment thing led me into um, leaving that marriage. I separated from my husband in from that, like, and then in 2018 I started learning um, more into the spiritual stuff, like I learned some energy healing, Reiki, uh, crystal healing, um, like channeling with crystals. And like I just went through this spiritual awakening from 2015 to 2018, 19, and where it was all just awakening to like my soul, who I was outside of this body. And yeah, then that led into coming across um, the coaching world and what that looked like. So I got my first coach and I signed up for the NLP training for 2020. Um, <laughs> and then I completed that and it was like my brain was exploding every single day. I when Because I did lives every day. Uh, when they come up, I, I laugh. It really was this mind warp for me. Um, all of this conditioning, all of this stuff that I'd been holding, 
everything just fell away. Like it was all, it was, it shook my model of the world, like something I've never had happened before. Like the questions that challenge you, that bring you from um, a place of a, um, like you know, a victim state of mind to an empowered state of mind to being at cause. Okay, so how can I now um, utilize this? What lessons and learnings are here? What empowered lessons and learnings are here? And so learning that and then integrating that over the past like 15 months or so, I've done a reset. I assisted coaching at another training. I've done masters since then. Um, I did a couple of immersions as well that really put me into my body where I learned that part of I was at where I was at was because um, um, I didn't feel safe in my body. So I hadn't yeah. felt safe in my body all, all my life ever since I was yeah. like the four. I didn't feel safe in my body because things were unpredictable and life felt unsafe. So yeah. I didn't realise that was a thing until – I did these immersions and I actually came back into my body to stay and I realised how disassociated I had been um, from my body and all of those mental health uh, diagnoses that are depression, anxiety, body dysmorphia, like my panic attacks, all of that sort of stuff, gone. I haven't had them in 12 months um, and I've had two, I don't know, right? Fucking woo. They, they say you've got to have for life but... You know, those things serve a purpose for the environments that you're in, uh, but you can absolutely overcome them. Uh, but it does take commitment to go because they form such a strong identity, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like you become that diagnosis. You become what you're told you are. And especially if it's the grounds of you're told that you'll have it for life and that there's no there's no cure for that and there's this like enabling there's like a society bent on enabling that sort of stuff and obviously there are some people out there that that may have that stuff for life uh in my experience and all of the people that I have witnessed um in these spaces and steps through that and come to that place of cause um and it's totally liberating to claim your story, to claim your stigma, to claim all of these parts and stuff that, you know, used to be your dirty little secrets or your shame areas and realise that there is actually no shame um, and that you're not a shameful person because you've experienced that, you've had experiences and these experiences has shaped you in a certain way but at the end of the day, we make decisions and we make choices about what they mean about us specifically as a person. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the root cause of that, you know, we can unlock that fabric completely because if we can decide that we are um, shameful or we are bad or without, whether we can, we can choose differently. We can make a new decision and outride that one. And any of the evidence that we've compiled to to make that belief so certain inside of us can mm-hmm. absolutely be like deconstructed and a new belief can take form. Like that is what I do. That is what I've been trained to do now with people. Um, like, you know, deconstruct their, their model of the world 
in a beautiful honoring sort of way that the person is and liberated from the the shitty conditioning that there's that's been pla- who they were and yeah. the person that they've learned to become through these events and through these trials so obviously coming through that myself and only just touching the the iceberg <laughs> of some of the things that I've um, experienced. But it's, yeah, what I do, that's why it lights me up so much. And I completed one of my what we call little hero journeys and yeah. that was to do with the rape that I experienced when I was 13 last year. I had the opportunity of one of my friend's daughters at 13 very similar circumstances to my own story and wow. I asked what I could do uh, yeah I I cried on the phone to her mom I was shocked um like I just couldn't I just my my mouth came open I I think my mouth was open like a gape for like five minutes I just couldn't even shut my mouth when she said what happened and the tears came to me can I do, can I do anything? And she's like, we can't really do anything. And I said, would it be okay? Would it support you if I came down there? Because obviously this is so similar to mine. I've got the resources now to be able to help her, Um, maybe like support her. And she's like, I would love that if you can. So I drove five hours because that's how far away they lived. I drove five hours, I picked the car, even got tires, like changed my tires and stuff, like because they were pretty bad. I made sure I was all good. Went down there and I ended up staying for four and a half days. Um, and then I had to come back. I went down there and I, I just pretended like I didn't know because I didn't tell to have to tell me that shit yeah. that what had happened. I just said, oh, I'm just down here to um, see you guys because I miss you guys so much. <laughs> And then her mum had to go to work, so it worked really well because she wasn't going to school and stuff. And when her mum had gone to work and her dad had gone to work, um, she she's like, Auntie Crystal, because uh, she calls me Auntie. I've been friends with them so long. Um, yeah. And, or, yeah, she calls me Crystal because that's biologically, legally my name, but stars, yeah. what everyone else calls me. Um, she's like, so something happened and I really want to share with you. Um, and my mum's told me before that something happened to you very similar when you were young. Um, so I'd like to share my story with you or something along those lines. Um, I said, okay. And then I heard her and I heard the guilt, I heard the shame. Wasn't saying as well. And it was like this moment of connecting with my own 13-year-old self that I hadn't even spoken to and given uh, opportunity to be aired. So I took a moment and said, I just, you know, when she was finished, I said, thank you for sharing that with me. And because um, I could see she was getting a little bit awkward at that point when she was finished. So I'm just going to take a shower. You take a few minutes to do what you need to do and feel whatever you need to feel. And then we'll do some breakfast or something, okay? And she's like, I went in the shower and I cried. And as I was sitting in the shower, I was crying, not because of what had happened, but because I had a revelation while she was talking of me going, this beautiful girl, this beautiful 13-year-old girl, there is nothing wrong with her. She's perfect. 
she's whole, she's complete. There's like nothing wrong with her. And I had that little tiny voice come up inside my head and said, if that's true for her, then it's true for you too. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that like so clearly, like it racked my whole body that I I was like, that's why I had to go for a shower because I didn't want to do that in front of her because that was my own process and I didn't want to project that onto her and make her feel like her story had made me uncomfortable in some way. Yeah. Um, and I just sat in the shower and I just let myself feel that and own that, that if that was true for her and I could see that in her, even though she went somewhere that she shouldn't have been, she snuck out of home, she did all of this and that was the result of it with someone that she trusted, like it was so similar to my own and it was that similar that I was like, fuck, if that's true for you, that's true for me too. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to own that in order to support her to my fullest capacity I had to own that truth about myself too that it wasn't my fault that their behaviors and actions of other people are their behaviors and actions it's not actually me and I could see that so clearly in her when she was sharing like this perfect mirror and so it dropped that truth in so deep that any shame and any guilt and any pain that I was still harboring even just a little bit about it just left me just totally disappeared in that moment I finished my shower and I went back out there and I said I'd like to share a story with you now if that's okay and she's like yes please so I shared my story but instead of from a place of victim or a place of disempowerment or a place of shame I shared it with empowerment of what I've done with that story since how many people I've helped with that story since how many, you know, that it wasn't her fault that you know, the behaviours of other people and that there was nothing wrong with her and that this didn't have to shape her life in a, in a bad way if she didn't want it to, that she had a choice and she can make a new decision. And we had a really, really, like, real talk about that. And we, you know, we brought to the surface the shame, the guilt, the, the pain she was feeling inside that she didn't say before she didn't have the the way to articulate that before. But as I was sharing my story and speaking into my shame, my pain, my all of the things that came up in my body that I learned from that, um, she was like, me too. Oh, I feel like that. Me too. Oh, wow. I thought that was just me. And I was like, no, definitely not just you. That's That's totally normal and it's okay to feel that way. Something happened. What happened wasn't okay. And that doesn't condone that behavior, but you yourself are okay. Like there's actually nothing wrong with you. And she's like, she just started crying and I just held space for her. She's like, can I hug you? And I'm like, yes. So we had this beautiful hug. And then I was there for like four days. That was the first day that I was there. <laughs> um, and then we just spent time. We baked, we hung out, we did art, we went for walks. We we did just all of this stuff, just a lot of quality time. I didn't use any of my NLP, just some really good questions. That's part of NLP, but really good questions to ignite thought within her that she could then use that within herself. But I didn't use anything else, just presence love and just seeing her as the the beautiful wholeness that she was not the event that had happened um we went out for dinner on one of those nights too and 
straight away I was like, oh, fuck, this isn't going to go well. It was like St. Paddy's Day and there was men everywhere and drinking and I was like, oh, God, guys, you had to pick a pub <laughs> for going out to tea. I see why we want to go out for tea because it's, you know, St. Paddy's Day and we all wanted to celebrate to go out to tea together. But I walked in there and went, oh, fuck. Yeah, and I looked at her and I watched her just go extremely rigid. I watched the hypervigilance come out, and I said, "Okay, yeah, I um, I was acknowledging all of that. Her parents completely oblivious to to that, like just a normal day. They go out all the time for teas and stuff, so nothing out of the norm. But this is the first time they'd been out since that had happened. And today, girls, yeah, you know, you feel it. Yeah, well. to I was able to not just help her in that situation but I was able to help her mum I was yeah. able to help her dad um because obviously she was feeling some things in her body and she wasn't feeling safe within her body at that point so I had to have real talk with her parents about consensual touch about asking um if it's okay to hug before presu- presuming that it is and they're like but we've always just hugged and I said yes I know but this hasn't always been the way so now there's been an event She's not feeling safe. So the way that you can help her feel safe and feel confident in her body is by asking her if it's okay to hug her. Hey, babe, but we just sometimes, like even myself, I'm a really cuddly person and, you know, sometimes forget because we're like, oh, I'm a really loving person. Oh, you greet someone with a hug or whatever. But we need that reminder. We need that reminder to, you know, just consider how someone else could be feeling inside, you know. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. And it was it was this beautiful thing that just happened to play out when I was there, when we were at this dinner, and I was able to prevent a panic attack because I saw it because uh, of my tranquility and I was so in tune with her. I knew the moment that she was panicking and she couldn't eat and she was starting to get really, like, restless. I said, okay, let's go for a walk. We got outside, she dropped to the ground and she started, like, hyperventilating. I was like, fucking thought so. Um, and then I talked her out of that through breathwork because I'm trained as a breathwork facilitator. So through breathwork, I got her to ground. We walked, we come back. She was okay. She sat down. And then I went back to eating my tea and I didn't notice her dad walk up from behind. He slapped her on the shoulder and kind of just went, are you right now, love? And she jumped. Because <laughs> it was unexpected and it was physical contact. Yeah. And I was like, I almost went, oh, don't. But it was too late. He did it. And she's like, don't touch me. And I was like, it's okay. Because he went to like, you know, snap back because it was unexpected for him. And he was only checking in on her. So I averted that by talking to him directly. I said, you're all right. Just feel what you need to feel. Spoke to him. And then we got home and we had this big conversation around. And that that was an appropriate time to touch her um definitely not and so we had this really beautiful connection between me him and his mom and her mum. and then the mm-hmm. next morning I watched that ripple effect occur which was the most beautiful thing I was in like the lounge room and I was like sorting something out and she was standing there because she was just talking to me and then um she turned to go into the kitchen and he kind of snuck up the hallway a big bear hug from behind and he got really close to her put his arms out and I was like oh my I I don't think I was breathing (laughs) and I watched this play out and then he stopped and he put his arms down 
and he goes, uh, is it okay if I give you a hug? And she kind of, she glanced at me quickly and then I just gave her a little nod and she turned back. She goes, no, actually, please don't. And he's like, okay. He goes, what do you want for breakfast then? And it was, yeah, they just walked into the lounge, um, into the kitchen and started making breakfast and started laughing. And she's like then like knocking him with her like elbow and stuff as they were making like breakfast. And I was like, oh, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> In the lounge movie. <laughs> like that was, and now I, is months later but I hear now she's got a boyfriend and she's in a quite a healthy little relationship going on so the beauty of this work and that was so experience being able to share from such an empowered place uh that she shared with me on the last day that it would it'd been such a blessing to have me there because she now knows that she will be okay because she can see that in me was something yeah. about her look that didn't, I didn't, there was that what she said that was still landing inside my body, but it wasn't until I was in my car and I was probably two hours into my five-hour drive home and I had to pull over and, like, cry because I realised that her energy and her words were telling me that I'd given her hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that's the most magical thing that you can give someone. Is yeah, and that's what I like to do. That's that's what I'm here to do with people inside my business, inside life in general, and yeah, just I'm crying, but you know, it's beautiful. So magical, star, because you know how how can you ever have such a like? I look at look at people that work I suppose normal normal jobs stigma but normal jobs and then this beautiful passion and purpose you have that you are out there doing things like for this young person that is changing and healing and gives her that hope and this magical connection but at the same time it continues to heal you it continues to yeah heal totally you. yeah it's um it's incredible man good on you <laughs> thank you <laughs> yes it's quite the journey but that's I wrote about that in my master's training not long ago and I like had to go over that quite a few times to retell that and allow myself to feel the magnitude of that mm-hmm. one of the ones because I didn't know what a hero's journey was until I was looking at that and there's like 14 components to completing a hero's journey and I was like oh fuck at least yeah. once I've done it and the completion in one of them and that was one of them where I seen the full circle and yeah it's definitely remembering that like it reminds me what I'm doing when it gets hard when you know if I don't have clients or if I'm you know just in a bit of stagnancy and I'm like oh maybe I should give it a can and go back and get a regular job and you know <laughs> not do this stuff that and I'm like no that's my why I'm here to use my voice like I'm here to to help people I'm here to change things I'm not to see the world the way that it like it is I'm seeing what is the the possibilities the what's the probability um ways that we can do things better more efficiently more effectively and come back into wholeness and come back into like self-empowerment and yeah that it's transcending (laughs) that's why I landed with the word (laughs) transcendence um coach because that's essentially what it is it's 
through all the the muck, all the all the yucky stuff that feels, and to get to where I am didn't come without discomfort. It didn't come without being um, uncomfortable. It didn't come without facing a lot of fear and a lot of pain. If I think that the pain I experienced at the hands of other people, this was next level to go to these depths and take full responsibility of my own parts, to take full accountability of um, the entirety of the ripples that I've sent out there as well and um, how in some situations like, it was totally projected on my part, like invited and projected to I was playing out a wounded story from something that had happened years ago with someone else and making them the catalyst of the pain that I never got to process back then because one of the prime directives of the unconscious mind is it doesn't know how to process negatives. So mm. I think that I've actually really learned that sticks to me or sticks with me Um in a reminding way is when someone tells you that they can't remember anything good about their childhood, they actually have a lot of good that would be in their childhood there too. But the unconscious mind, the human mind, um, can process good emotions and good feelings and good events. So it's already processed and integrated into the body as memories. Um, but negative associated memories and traumatic events don't get processed the same way. It just kind of sits there on a mental um, loop that loops and loops and loops and loops. So when someone thinks about their childhood or thinks about things, all they can see is this looping of these negative events because the unconscious mind doesn't know what the hell to do with them. So they've actually got to be unpacked. They've actually got to be brought to the light. They've actually got to be um, like the emotions associated that need to be processed, released, um, like it's these uh, negative things come up in the unconscious mind um, so that we can process them. So yeah. it can't do it in the background. It just doesn't actually have the resources to do that. We have to consciously instruct it through working with having the resources ourselves to um, to process that and to let it out. Like we, we need each other. We need people. Um, some of this stuff we can't do by ourselves. Like I never would have been able to get to where I am right now with coaches in my background, going to mm. self-development and learning the the resources and the training that I have to, to do that, not just for myself but for others too. Um, but obviously, like you said before, you know, when I'm working with others, I'm still healing aspects of myself that's kind of – the way it kind of works because people coming to me is obviously I'm thinking me that they see in them. Yeah. So um, everyone's walking each other home. That's what I know to be true is we're all just walking each other home. We're all, you know, both the student and the teacher. We're all the healer and the healee, you know. Yeah. We're all so interconnected. Um, yeah, I could go on an absolute tangent there, but I am I, conscious I of the time it. as well. <laughs> I do have one question, Star. So if there's yes. anyone out there listening or anyone that, um, you know, is in a similar situation or might be different but have something that relates to, you know, some of the things you've shared today with us, um, what advice, you know, like how, 
how did you find because obviously there is a lot of fear there and a lot of like stuckness when you're in an actual situation of dv or um assault mm. and all of that like if someone was really stuck and trying to find some some skills or some drive um to try and get themselves out of a situation or an environment um and like where would they start you know like I I am in the coaching world so personally I know like stuff about NLP and coaching and things but you know there's a lot of us you know like look at your old version of yourself years ago you didn't know any of that world you know like so I wouldn't have trusted it either there's 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 a difference I wouldn't have trusted it either um I would have been very very skeptical and very very guarded um had this come into my sphere when I was like, you know, 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there um, or early 20s, I would have been like, are you fucking, you know, kind of whimsical bullshit are you talking? <laughs> that doesn't sound, I don't, that's not real. Um, you know, that can't happen. Like that's that's not my model of the world. So essentially it's you've got to work with someone's model of the world. For somebody that is experiencing active DV, um your safety is paramount that's that's the the basis is that your safety is first and foremost paramount to um to a successful thing having a plan working with someone to develop a plan like an exit strategy and that might take months to to activate because safety is is everything in those environments um, especially in active cases, if it's not active anymore, uh, it can, you know, that's just when like it's finished and you've moved forward with life. Um, you're not alone is what I want to say is you're not alone. There's many people that experience this like me too. And you're worthy of the life that you want to, to feel and create um that happiness that that person inside of you that you wish you are you already are like it's already there um but support of um like a trained facilitator to help bring that out you've already got all of the answers all of the knowledge and all of the awareness that you'll need inside of your body um and it's learning how to trust yourself your unconscious mind not your wounded mind, not your wounded self, um, but your your truth, your your highest truth, your conscious mind. Um, when you're like it's non-negotiable. It's it's and it's said with love. It's said with compassion. If you're hearing things like um, you know that you're shit or you're not worth it or uh, it's too hard or anything, that's that's wounded self. That's that's not your highest self. Um, yeah, so just being very mindful of who you're connecting with when you um, and you think that you're talking like it might not be, it might be your wounded self. They feel very similar, uh, but wounded self will be moving away from pain. Uh, she'll bring up or he'll bring up, um, places to sabotage all of what you're doing and create havoc. Whereas your unconscious higher self mind um, wants to support you, love you, and won't um, shame you for any choices that you make. So you won't be, you won't feel stupid for it. It'll be, you know, they'll still hold you. And when you're ready to to do what you feel is right, 
it will happen. Um, yes. Yeah, so that, you know, help is possible. And sometimes the, or definitely in my experience, the biggest thing that you can ever invest into is yourself. And mm -hmm. that that's time. That's energy. They're your two biggest resources. But then yeah. also on the financial side, like, you know, you're the biggest investment that you ever have. Like it's always going to be you. And unpack it's in layers, layers and layers and layers. Um, but there's so many people on the journey. So aligning with people that are already doing the things um, so that you can proximity is power basically <laughs> proximity yeah. is power bringing in people that are already doing the things surround yourself on social media with people that are and yeah give yourself the time to to heal you know it's taken this yeah. long for you to develop these behaviors and traits and habits and all of these things so give yourself time to then unpack all of that it's not an overnight mission um yeah. but it's absolutely achievable absolutely achievable as humans are lazy aren't we and we're really impatient as well we're like you know we do uh invest in something for like a week and then we're like why aren't we healed <laughs> exactly so, uh -huh. i remember doing that <laughs> i yeah. remember feeling that like oh, i must be like doing this wrong why why, like, why? why is this thing come up again and i've done this i've already looked at this i've already like <laughs> layers layers and layers and layers and don't compare where you're at compared to other people don't yeah. just because they're on their journey and they're doing amazing things like that's that's their journey yours is separate it's different different events different stuff and you take as long as you need to do that yeah um, essentially that's that's what I want to say into that, that it's possible. It's absolutely possible. I've done it. I know it's possible. People, I know it's possible. Um, and it's just trusting in the fact that you're you're able to do it. You will. You will absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. And thank you so much for sharing that. I think that'll be a really, a really awesome piece of advice for a lot of people that will listen, start, um, the last thing I just want to ask you about, beautiful, is um, so to work with you, like if people wanted to contact you and things, like do you have certain programs, do you do group, one-on-one, like how how would you d describe that to people in a nutshell if they were like, oh, kind of on the fence and listening to this today and like, shit, I've got some stuff that I think, you know, this, <laughs> this beautiful uh, would be able to, you know, lead me through, guide me, support me. Um, how would you? What options would you tell people that you have out there that you do with to to work with? Um, so I do one on one, uh, online sessions. Uh, I can do in person, but um, and it's a slightly higher price point because I have to hire a room. Um. But for one-on-ones, I do 90-minute sessions and I do uh, half-day, four-hour sessions and full-day, eight-hour sessions. So they're, the four- and eight-hour are breakthrough sessions. That is to break through the crap. Um, and it's, like, rapid. <laughs> it's using lots of resources, lots of tools and having, like, an action plan um, to fill out and 
yeah, you go, you send that back to me. I make a plan, and then it's bang, 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 bang for out like the hours on to get that result. Whatever the result is that you're looking for, that's the result we're going for. And so far, they have been so freaking successful, and I love doing them. Um, but 90 minutes is also a great way you can get a lot broken through in just 90 minutes also uh, programs um, but they are very tailored to the individual so I don't have a set one I speak to the person about where they're going and what kind of results they are looking to achieve and then I set up a plan around that so it could be four weeks it could be six weeks could depends on the individual and what they actually need in support does that make sense Mm. um and then I do other bits and bobs as well I do um naked photography for people for empowerment I do yeah (laughs) sometimes and at the at the beach at Maslin's um I do I take a for my own personal journey through body dysmorphia to come to a point of celebrating my body. I love to gift that to other people when I'm working like that in them that mm-hmm. we're already whole and beautiful the way that we are, exactly the shape that we are and whatever we look like right now is worthy of love and respect right now. Not, you know, when you lose all the weight or when you feel a certain way right now is possible and um doable right now to love yourself unconditionally but you can also still move towards health goals so um that's one as well that's the passion piece um yeah and i've got a few other things that are up my sleeve that i will be doing later in the year there's a retreat coming hopefully later in this year um i have reiki training um uh that's a one, two, and Masters coming up very soon in April. Uh, that has an eight-week uh, support ancient healing program as well. So that's individualised, tailored to um, working with. And as it's a smaller sort of group um, where I want to make sure that that person is supported in business, they are supported in anything that can come up through the training through the integration and just making sure they're really held which hasn't been my experience with trainings that I've done in the Reiki field myself so that's something that I want to do for other people to make sure that very connected and confident when they're out there leading their business I want to be still working with them when they've got clients so if anything comes up they can go star this came up what what's the way that I could do this or this is a reflection and then I can support them in things because I don't specifically know what's going to come up for people until it's come up so that's an area that I feel needs to be really encompassed with working with people so that's Reiki training coming up with an eight-week program um yeah essentially that's it so one-on-one and a couple of group things that are coming up so many skills so many magical magical spaces that you hold um so last of all beautiful where would people find you on social media website etc and i can drop those links into the description too when we share your beautiful episode 
Awesome. Um, so Facebook, uh, Starsansky Banala, Mind, Body and Soul is the business page or Starsansky Banala um, is the like profile page and it's on Instagram as well. Still the same thing. I think it's uh, Starsansky Banala, Mind, Body and Soul or it could be just Starsansky Banala. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is at the moment. Um, what's the other one? Uh I think that's, yeah, I think, that's it. There's no, there's a website in development. There's an, it's in development. Yeah. It's not active yet. Cool. That's fine. Well, when we publish it and once your website comes out, even after we've released your episode, we can chuck that website in there and edit it so people can find cool. you and reach out to you. Um, have you got any final awesome. words today, beautiful, that you want to share with anyone? Any like, do you have any logos? Well, what is something? Um, just that you're all worthy of love, and to allow yourself that opportunity to, yeah, experience that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Star. Honestly, beautiful journey, and praise for having me. Thank you so much because it's really special. Because you know, a lot of us hide inside with these experiences, and and can't yet find the courage to share them so um i'm so thankful that you are in our world and our universe sharing your magic um absolutely you've you've inspired me to start my own (laughs) (laughs) i really want to do that i want to do this for other people and do the same thing like just uh sharing my in more detail but also uh, sharing other people's stories too um in their own details so thank you for inspiring me beautiful more magic coming yes girl thank you so much and have a beautiful afternoon sending you so much love thank you you too see ya